Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. exception of our Lord Jesus, John the Baptist was the greatest man who ever lived on earth. Now, you may have your favorite Bible character, but Jesus is the one who said that. Uh, if you remember, an angel told John the Baptist's father, uh, the priest Zacharias, he said, many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Jesus said an amazing thing that we discovered last week when we preached part one of this series of messages out of Matthew chapter 3. Jesus said, Among them are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. What made John great in the sight of the Lord um, was not that he was born to Zacharias, was the calling that was put on his life. We learned so much about John. In fact, we learned seven character traits about John the Baptist last week, uh, that he was a herald. He was a, a forerunner of the king. And we have to understand that culturally, two to three, four thousand years ago on, on planet Earth, uh, kings often had heralds who ran before them. And what they would do is they would uh, uh, announce that the king was coming and people would get on bended knee to worship the king that was, that was coming. Well, today's passage, it really fills in much of the gap uh, uh, between the childhood of Jesus and the very beginning of Jesus' ministry at approximately the age of 30. Uh, this last picture we have of boy Jesus at the age of 12. Remember, he attended the Passover, and his parents actually left, forgot about him, and it wasn't until later that they realized that they had left Jesus back at the temple. Well, there's this gap from the time that Jesus was 12 until he was 30, and so this morning we've entitled uh, the message, Filling in the Gaps, What's Happening During This Time Period? And during this time period, there's a man by the name of John the Baptist. In fact, the Bible says in verse number one, in those days, uh, refers to the days or the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Let's stand together. We would have an opportunity here. Um, I'm going to have Pastor Howard help us here this morning on uh, the even verses, and we're not going to read the whole chapter this morning. We're just going to read uh, down through verses, verse 12. And uh, I'll read the odd verses, you read the even verses uh, as we read these first 12 verses. Follow along, participate in this responsive reading. In those days came John the... In, the, in those days, this is the, that gap that we're talking about uh, between when Jesus was 12 and Jesus is 30. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And say, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Elijah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around about Jordan. 
and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I want you to notice the last sentence there that you just read. But he, Jesus, will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Are you wheat or chaff this morning? Father, I pray that you will help us in this time together around your word to discern, to understand, to appreciate, to be challenged, to be encouraged, to be rebuked. Father, your Holy Spirit can do all of these things, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would move among us this morning. Lord, I believe that the way has been prepared. And so, Father, through the music and testimonies and fellowship time, there's a tenderness and a sweetness this morning. So, Father, speak to us, even right now through your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. From this passage of Scripture, we note the man, John the Baptist. We see his ministry and his message, and we see his relationship to Messiah. I love how we can examine the same passage of Scripture and mine out completely different perspectives. Remember last week, we focused completely on just the character traits of John the Baptist. This morning, I'd like to share with you four thoughts as we fill in uh, the gap of the early years of Jesus' ministries before he began in, in, in uh, full appreciation of all the miracles and messages of what took place in those early years. Here's gap number one. I want us to notice the man, John the Baptist. Let's notice the man, John the Baptist. When Scripture declares John as the Baptist, it does not mean that he was a Southern Baptist. It does not mean that he was a missionary Baptist or a primitive Baptist or an even an independent Baptist. Rather, it refers to his calling, and his calling was this, to baptize people, and we'll talk about uh, uh, that in just a few moments. John was born to that priest, Zacharias, and to his wife, Elizabeth, uh, who was the cousin of Mary. And just like Jesus, an, uh, an angel announced John's birth, and he was, the Bible says, filled with the Holy Spirit or controlled by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Luke chapter 1, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide uh, uh, our feet into the way of peace. In our text that we've read together, the Bible says that John came preaching. Came comes from a Greek word that refers to the public appearance of a leader. 
J.B. Phillips translated it, arrived. We could paraphrase that phrase, John began preaching. So John, he was uh, here on this earth and he began his earthly ministry. Let's take a moment to be reminded here of John's location. The Bible says in his early ministry he was out in the wilderness of Judea. He did not preach his message from the tem, from the steps of the temple. Uh, he was out in the wilderness of Judea. He called people away from their dead religion of his day. And when God's Spirit empowers his message, people will come and hear, no matter where the message is being preached. And so the people would leave the city of Jerusalem, and they would go out into the desert place. John was not into seeker-sensitive services. He did not try to attract people and just make them comfortable and, and somehow just add Jesus to their life, uh, they would not come to the wilderness unless they were really serious. The people had to make an effort to be there. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with church advertising. We advertise on Facebook when we have VBS, and we advertise when we're having some type of special outreach. Um, there's nothing wrong with coming and, and being comfortable. The, you have amazing seats there. The air conditioning is amazing. You're going to hit, be hit with a blast of a, a hot air as soon as you exit this building. So it's wonderful to have air conditioning. Amen? And it's wonderful to receive a warm welcome and a, a friendly handshake and a hug and be uh, welcomed here at church. But we can never forget the most important part, and that's called the message. Now, all John's sermons, all of John's sermons can be summed up in one word, and that one word is this word, repent. Now, what if that was the topic of every single message of every Sunday morning that you heard constantly repetitive over and over again, repent? You would, get, you would quickly tire of that. But that was John the Baptist's message is to repent. Um, repentance is more than sorrow or regret. Repent means this, to turn 180 degrees and go the opposite direction. And with God's power, uh, change uh, will happen to your attitude and your actions. And, and people will often come to the altar and they'll weep and they'll tell God, God, I'm sorry for my sins. And by the way, that's all well and good, but it is not repentance. Repentance is when I have changed. And so you have not repented until you have changed. And John the Baptist was preaching a message of repentance. What were they to change from? They were to change from their dead religion. They were to change from all of the lifestyle that they were living. And he was preaching this message. Paul said this, Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. I think this word repent could be better translated, be converted. Uh, you must repent before you can be saved. Listen, it is not just adding Jesus to my life. If that was the case, we wouldn't need salvation. The fact of the matter is, is repentance is it's a change of a lifestyle. Jesus said this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And that is exactly what John was preaching here. They were to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God refers to the rule and reign of Jesus. And this kingdom is a spiritual kingdom and he rules. Where does he rule? He rules in our hearts and someday there will be a physical kingdom when Jesus sits on an earthly throne in Jerusalem. But for now he rules and reigns in our hearts. And the reason that people were to repent was because this kingdom was about to be ushered in. May I remind you, for 400 years there had been no word from God. 
For 400 years, people prayed and they never heard from God. For 400 years since Malachi's prophecy uh, had been foretold, there was no word from God. And all of a sudden, now out of the wilderness of Judea, John the Baptist is saying this, Repent! Get right! The Messiah is coming. And we look back and we say, good for John the Baptist. But folks, we are not, uh, we are not excused because our message should be the same. Repent. Get right. The Messiah is coming back. And John the Baptist was foretelling. But folks, we also ought to be telling folks, and that's our family and our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers and anybody who does not know Jesus, that he is coming back. And even the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, he had declared the coming of the Messiah. He also foretold of the forerunner, John the Baptist. The Bible says he wrote, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. John did not come to make a physical highway straight, level, and smooth. He came to make the hearts of men ready for Jesus. Are you ready for Jesus? Are you calloused toward the name of Jesus? Or does the name of Jesus still put a tender spot in your heart and a tear in your eye? Many of John's disciples became Jesus' disciples, and as we learned last week, John was really different. The Bible says he was clothed in camel's hair. Now, I had the opportunity and privilege to ride a camel in Morocco. Here's what I remember. I remember the camel was mean. He tried to bite me. I remember the camel was smelly. He stunk. I cannot imagine being clothed in camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he lived off of eating locust and wild honey. What a life! In contrast, though, I believe it's important because the religious leaders, the snooty ones, the the highly educated ones, they were well-dressed, according to the custom of 2,000 years ago. They were well-fed. They lived in their beautiful homes, and they were sophisticated. And John's lifestyle shows that he cared little about the world's standards. That's why I love the song this morning, I'd rather have Jesus than riches and fame and the the worldly entrapments of today. In fact, he forsook them. His clothing was as drab as his wilderness surroundings. And often I find that in the Bible there's there's many emblems and signs and, uh, and parables that are used. And I find that clothing often represents our desire to be accepted. We want to be liked and so we want to fit in. And oftentimes our food represents our fleshly appetites and and though there's nothing intrinsically wrong with nice clothes and good food we should never allow such temporary things to take precedence over the kingdom of God Jesus asked a question in the sermon on the mountain probably several months from now we'll get to Matthew chapter 6 the Bible says Jesus asked a question therefore I say unto you take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink nor yet for your body what ye shall put on is not the life more than meat the body more than raiment. Paul even said this, meats for the belly and belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and, and, and them. John did not ask anyone else to live as he lived. That was never his message that you have to live like I live. But what he did is he provides a wonderful uh, example of what priorities are. He was committed to telling others about Jesus Christ. This church will never be all God wants her to be if we give priority to acceptance and earthly desires instead of preaching the same message. Folks, we've got to tell people about Jesus Christ. There are people that's been saved this calendar year that sit here 
because someone told them about Jesus. Was that you? Well, gap number two, when I'm looking at this little uh, period of time that the Scripture doesn't give us much information about, we actually have to examine the ministry of John the Baptist. We've seen the man, John the Baptist, but now we need to notice the ministry of John the Baptist. John's ministry was not simply reaching to one small area. The Bible says that people came to him from Jerusalem, all Judea, and the entire region around Jordan. They came all over from southern Palestine uh, to John's wilderness. They came because they believed John was the next great prophet. There were many who thought he was the Messiah. Matthew chapter 21 says, Of men we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. Allow me to explain the actual ministry of John the Baptist. Remember that our text stated this morning that people were baptized in the Jordan River. How many of you have been baptized in the River Jordan? I think there's a, there should be about 40 or 50 people here this morning that's been baptized in the Jordan River. This is where Jesus was baptized. Baptized is a transliterated word that simply means to dip or immerse. That's why we do not sprinkle here. We follow the example that Jesus was dipped or immersed. Uh, Luke chapter 16 uses the same word when it describes the rich man who asked Lazarus just to dip the tip of his finger in water. In other words, to dip or immerse. Now, here's why this is important. Since some of you were two, three, four, you've either seen baptism heard the word baptism, and maybe as soon as you started coming to church, you're familiar with the term baptism. We are all basically aware of baptism. This was a brand new concept to these people. They had never heard Baptism was a brand new word. The concept of baptizing, the concept of going down into a river and a man dunking that person, that was all brand new. And the Bible says uh, that the Jews were, were, were accustomed to ceremonial washings, but not baptisms. And the closest thing was a ceremonial, ceremonial washing of a Gentile, one who was outside, uh, who wanted to become a Jew. And John's baptism said this, that God's chosen people, people, People of Abraham and heirs of Moses' covenant were really outside God's kingdom until they were baptized. So they were baptized, confessing their sins to God. Uh, now listen, baptism doesn't save anyone. We're baptized because we have already confessed our sins and we've invited Jesus to be our Savior, repenting from our sins. Baptism is a public external picture of a private internal decision. Baptism simply identifies us with Christ. I'm so thankful we had a baptism this morning. I talked uh, to the mother in my starting point class, and she was glowing that her son was going to be baptized. You know what that that signifies is that there has been an internal change represented uh, by the external baptism. Every believer should be baptized in a local New Testament church. And if you are not baptized, I say it respectfully, I say it kindly, I say it in love, but as a pastor speaking the truth, you are living in disobedience if you have yet to be baptized. Because it is the first step of a new believer is to publicly identify and not to be ashamed of the relationship that you have in Christ. Here's gap number three. We've seen the man, John the Baptist. We've seen 
uh, that ministry of John Baptist. It was to teach people to repent and be baptized. But we see the message of John the Baptist in verse 7 and following. Uh, the message of John the Baptist. Some uh, were people who had heard John's message. Now the Bible gives us some New terminology. I don't think any, unless you were reading God's word, I don't believe anybody used this in their general conversation this week. You talked about Pharisees and Sadducees. Only if you were reading in the, uh, in the Gospels would you have used that terminology. But the Bible says some were Pharisees. What in the world is a Pharisee? The word Pharisee means separated one. They were conservative legalists. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Now, what was the major uncleanness during this time? It was called leprosy. Jesus was saying that Pharisees were full of all uncleanness, even to the, that uncleanness of leprosy. The Bible says that some were Sadducees. These were the religious liberals who denied the resurrection. They were the aristocratic society. Now, friends, John the Baptist was not timid. And John gave a stark warning in his message. John called them, O generation of vipers. Generation means offspring. Vipers uh, were poisonous snakes that could look like branches on a tree. In other words, ensnaring them, uh, ensnaring their prey when they walked by the tree. These religious leaders, they looked harmless too. And John asked them, who warned you from the wrath to come? And this is the image of burning a field from which the vipers would flee. And, and these people came to John wanting fire insurance of baptism. Now listen. True repentance and faith in Christ protects us from God's wrath. Baptism only makes us wet. True repentance and faith in Christ, it's a protection. It's a shield. It's a hedge of protection from God's wrath. But baptism simply makes you wet. John told them, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And if you want to be baptized, show your repentance by the way you live. James even said, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. These self-righteous people defended themselves by saying, we have Abraham. He was our father. And they thought that they were saved because they were descendants of Abraham, who was obviously God's chosen nation. John the Baptist, he corrected them with this great truth. God is, able, uh, uh, God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Abraham, he was saved by faith, and so must his descendants be saved by faith. Listen, just because you've been born into a Christian family does not make you a Christian. And just because you desperately desire your children and your grandchildren to be Christians, uh, they must make that decision. Your heritage will not save you. Your baptism will not save you. Your church attendance will not save you. The money you give to the church will not save you. Your good works that you do in the church will not save you. Jesus said, I am the way. And we've tried to fill in the missing gap of Jesus' early life, and this brings us to my Final thought this morning, and notice with me gap number four, the Messiah and John the Baptist. The Messiah and John the Baptist. Sadly, after listening to the message of John the Baptist, the Bible says many rejected his message. Many thought he was a kook. Many thought that he uh, was crazy. 
Many thought that he was a wild man, and many sadly returned. John said, and now also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Because the Messiah was coming on the scene, I want you to notice something. God's judgment was coming. And John was utilizing a metaphor here of a farmer who went through his orchard or his vineyard looking for fruitless plants. Now, if you have checked out this morning and you say, I'm a Christian, you are a Christian, you're visiting with us, I'm almost finished, but please do not check out now. I want you to listen. The farmer would go through his vineyard, the farmer would go through his fields, the farmer would go through his orchard, and he would locate those fruitless, dead trees, and the Bible says that he would cut them down and throw them into the fire. And throughout the Bible, there's this terminology, fire. And it's, an, it's the image, a metaphor of God's divine judgment. In several passages, God has called this a consuming fire. And we know that in hell, it was reserved for judgment for the devil and his angels. But because there will be millions and billions of people who walked away, just like they walked away from the message of John the Baptist, there will be people sadly in this service who will walk away and say, that's for somebody else, and you will leave here unbelieving, and one day you will die, and you will go to a place that is a living fire that is reserved as a fire of judgment. Throughout the Bible, fire is of divine judgment. Good fruit, though the Bible says here in verse number 8, fruits meet for repentance represent genuine salvation. And salvation is not verified by a past experience, but by a present faithfulness. Salvation is not verified by some past uh, experience, but by a present faithfulness. Would you say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Listen, there are some of you that you, if I came in and said, show me in your Bible when you got saved, your Bible's uh, there in your lap, and you, get, you have listed in the flyleaf of your Bible the date you were saved, the date you were baptized, and that's what you're holding on to. Oh, you don't live any different than your neighbors. You don't live any different than the rest of your family members. You still go to the same bars, you still get drunk, you still do drugs, you still do the things that you know are against the Bible, but listen, oh pastor, it says right here that I got saved on this day. I just tell you, true repentance is not some date that's in your Bible, it's living a present day life of faithfulness that's evidences, that, that, that gives the evidences of your salvation. May I have permission to ask you a very direct question this morning? Would you all listen here? I'd like to ask this question. Does your fruit authenticate your salvation? Does your fruit authenticate your salvation? John the Baptist introduces to the world the Messiah, and the Messiah was much mightier than John the Baptist. And did you catch that in our text this morning? John said this, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. In John's ministry, baptism was the outward picture of an inward change. In Acts 19, in verse number 4, Paul wrote this, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. John told them about the Messiah. John said that he is mightier than I, whose shoes, uh, sandals, I am not even worthy to bear. One of the lowliest tasks of a slave during this time was to remove his master's sandals, wash his feet very carefully, and carry uh, those sandals and put them away. John, uh, 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 excuse me, Jesus, even later with his disciples, used this illustration uh, to teach them about servanthood and to teach them about humility. John said, he must increase, but I must decrease. 
John's priority was not making his own disciples. Sometimes people become attached to a spiritual leader. And John, though we find John the Baptist, he was pointing people not to himself, but to Christ. And I hope that if the day comes when God moves me or promotes me to heaven, that you will carry on even greater than you ever have carried on the, the work of Christ. Because it is always about Jesus and never about me. Jesus would not baptize with water, but with the Holy Spirit. And this was the promise that was fulfilled at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. These were the uh, words right here in Matthew chapter 3 that, that fulfilled uh, an Old Testament prophecy found in Joel chapter 2. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And Ezekiel even prophesied, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. May I say today, 2023, 2,000 years removed from this story, when a person gets saved, they're immediately indwelt. By the Holy Spirit of God. At the moment of salvation. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit of God lives within you, convicts you, encourages you, comforts you, guides you, gives you wisdom that you didn't even know that you could have. Jesus would also baptize them with fire. And I fully believe that this represents God's coming judgment. Oh, some uh, would be immersed in the Holy Spirit, and others, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, they're going to be immersed in a fiery judgment. We often think of Jesus as love, love, love. Was Jesus, a, was Jesus a person of love? Absolutely. But Matthew chapter 3 and verse 12 teaches us that the Messiah will actually divide people because he's bringing a judgment. Jesus will thresh out people. The saved are like wheat that he will gather into the barn. That's heaven. And, and, and the lost are like the chaff that will be burned with an unquenchable fire. That's, that word unquenchable is significant because it's referring to hell. And there's going to be a time when Jesus comes back and he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. Are you wheat or are you chaff this morning? You could close up your notes because I want to finish with a story. Richard Box, Richie, was a basketball player in the late 70s that was heavily recruited to go play at a school called UNLV. Some of you who are a little bit older will remember that they had a coach by the name of Jerry Tarkanian. How many of you know when I say the name Jerry Tarkanian? That's most of you. Jerry Tarkanian was known uh, that he would chew on a white towel for hydration, and he would walk up and down. He would have a towel in his mouth during the game, but he also had a really bad mouth. He also had a little bit of scandal with him and some recruiting. And, and uh, uh, he, he just, uh, of course, he was there in the uh, UNL, uh, Las Vegas area uh, coaching uh, uh, UNLV. But he dramatically changed the basketball program. In fact, winning a national championship uh, one year and then losing to Duke the next year in the national championship game. Uh, Richie Box, he was heavily recruited out of Southern California area. He came, played four years for Jerry Tarkanian. And uh, by his own testimony and his own, uh, his, uh, his own uh, insights, uh, he, he said that Jared Tarkanian uh, uh, didn't have much of a personality with his players. He was an amazing recruiter, but he didn't have much personality with his players. He, was only, he only ate, drank, and slept basketball. Uh, he was a rough man. 
It just so happens that after uh, 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 Richie Boxka completed his uh, high school, uh, his college career at UNLV, he went on to other things, and uh, and he and he got saved, and uh, the Lord dramatically changed his life. And, uh, and, and then he was concerned in, in later years when Jerry Tarkanian's health began to decline, uh, that he asked his son if he could come and visit Jerry Tarkanian. And he still, uh, 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 Richard Box uh, lived uh, in the Las Vegas area, and he went. He was very concerned about where he was going to spend his eternity. Now listen, there's a lot of people in our life that we have a fear and intimidation of, of what they think of us if we were to do something like this. Your boss, I could never tell him about Jesus. My grandma, who's a devout Catholic, I could just never tell her about Jesus and who Jesus really is. Because we have a fear of man. By the way, there's ample scripture that tells us and warns us against having a fear of man. I could see how a basketball player who played for this uh, amazingly successful coach could be intimidated about going in and telling them about Jesus, that if you die, that you're going to go to a place called hell unless you have your life changed. Well, Richie, he went to, for six weeks, he went to um, Jerry Tarkanian's house there in Las Vegas, and his health was declining, and um, he said the only thing that, uh, that he uh, liked was watching ESPN 24 hours a day. That's all he did. Um, and he said, Lord, I, there's got to be a way that I can reach Jerry, or Coach Jerry as he called him. And, um, and so one day he had an idea. He, he got there, and he says his wife wasn't there, and for whatever reason the TV wasn't on there, and he, and, uh, he was invited in, and he went in, and he says, Coach! He said, did you think about what we've been talking about? The fact is, is that someday when you pass from this life, you're going to spend eternity somewhere. And, uh, and he says, it was that moment that I had an idea. He says, coach, he says, when you recruited me, it was a big deal in my life. There was, it was, I had to sign what they call a national letter of intent. And my family, you know, my family's there, and we're sitting at a desk, and I signed my national letter of intent to attend the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And I signed my letter. He says, Coach, have you ever signed your heavenly letter of intent? He says, I don't think you have. And he says, it took six weeks of visits and reading God's word and telling Jerry Tarkinian about Jesus. And on that day, he says, it was like the Holy Spirit arrived. There's no TV. His wife is there. No other family members. It was just me and Jerry, and he says, Coach, would you like to sign your heavenly letter of intent? And Coach says, it's time I do that. And there he bowed his head in his, uh, uh, in his uh, uh, living room where uh, uh, he was declining health, and he trusted Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. I, um, I had the opportunity to meet Pastor Box. He now pastors a church, and uh, he is so concerned about people uh, that he tells people everywhere about Jesus. Folks, wheat or chaff? There are folks that are seated under my voice at this moment, watching by live stream, and you are terrified to tell someone else about Jesus Christ. They will spend their eternity somewhere, and we have the message. Don't, don't be ashamed. Be a John the Baptist. Here's the thing, 
you have your testimony. You're the man or the lady. You also have a ministry. God's given every single one of us a unique ministry. You know what? There's a lot of Raytheon employees, Border Patrol employees here. We have, uh, we have all kinds of professions here. But here's the thing. I'm never going to be invited to walk the halls of Raytheon and, and, and to talk to Raytheon employees about Jesus. But there's people here that can do that. I'm never going to be invited by Border Patrol to go out on the border and talk to Border Patrol agents about Jesus. I don't have that training. They don't want me to do that. But there's a lot of Border Patrol agents here that our church that can tell their co-workers about Jesus unashamedly. Because here's the thing. Just like Coach Jerry Tarkanian, he's since passed, but you know where he is today? He's in heaven. Because someone had enough boldness and courage as a former subordinate player who was terrified of his coach to say, you know what? I have to set aside the fear of man and I just have to tell coach about Jesus. Who do you need to tell about Jesus? Why are you fearful? Why are you ashamed? John the Baptist said, the farmer walks through the orchard and he looks for the dead. He cuts it down and throws it in the fire. The same thing is going to happen. Jesus is coming. John the Baptist was foretelling Jesus is coming and he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. My friend, we have a message. Jesus is coming back. And he's going to separate by fire the wheat and the chaff. I had the opportunity to talk to Henry Gonzalez uh, um, a couple weeks ago. And he was, I just asked him about his Bible study and what's going on there where he works. He works with a lot of unlovable people that can be hate, hateful. They're always trying to break the rules because they really have no life. They're in prison. I, I'm thankful for Henry Gonzalez and his vibrant testimony. I would not want his job of working in a prison. It's dark and oppressive, and certainly it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a godless place. Do you know what Henry has done? He's seen several men saved, lives radically changed, leading a Bible study in a, in a prison. And yes, those people committed some crimes, and some are there for life, and some of them are there for the vast majority of their life, but you know the same God, that died for you is the same God who died for that man who's in prison. And I'm thankful that in, whether it's Border Patrol, Raytheon, or a prison, there are still men and women who are willing to tell others about Jesus. What puzzles me, what puzzles me, is that most of us live a really good life. We're not Border Patrol agents. We're not building bombs. And we're not in the prison. But we're ashamed, afraid. To tell someone about Jesus. The axe is coming. The axe is coming when Jesus will separate wheat from chaff. Father, thank you so much for the great attention. Thank you for helping those so many hundreds and hundreds of people here. Listen today to the preaching of your word. Father, I pray as only you could do, your Holy Spirit would work right now. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Are you afraid to tell your coach about Jesus? 
I'm Border Patrol. I'm, a, I, I'm afraid to tell my coworkers about Jesus. I'm Raytheon. Now listen, you don't understand. There's so much secrecy here where we work, and, and I, I don't want people to know that I'm really a Christian. And what would they think of me? And, and others, uh, uh, others uh, maybe perhaps work in a prison or jail system, you know what? They got, it, what they, did, they got what's coming to them. But for m- <coughs> most of us, we live a really good life, and yet the tongue, uh, our tongue is tied, and a tongue gets twisted when we have to tell someone about Jesus. My friend, listen, the, Jesus is coming back, and he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. Are you chaff or are you wheat? What separates it? Wheat produces fruit. Chaff is barren. Wheat produces fruit. Chaff is barren. What fruit are you producing? Maybe this morning it would be with God's help. I will ha- I'm asking him to give me a spirit of boldness. Or maybe it's, I really am chaff. I need to be saved.